Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 572. The guest who's on this very episode was on At Midnight last night. Kyle. Oh, really? Yes. And Ooh. he crushed. Did he? Kevin Smith and Justin Long, who's also in the movie Tusk that Kevin was promoting, and Jen Kirkman. It was a great panel. That does what, sound like a murderer's row of at midnighters. People are really starting to get comfortable coming on the show. And it's totally like the the episodes we're doing now are different than in the beginning where everyone was trying to figure out like what's the show and what's the tone and what's the tempo. And I like the idea that when you say they're comfortable, they're like girls in high school and they're coming in pajama pants. It's well, emotion. They're coming in emotional pajama pants. Okay, that's good. Emotional yeah. pajama pants. That should be a hashtag. That's a band yeah. that we should start. Ooh, emotional like pajama it. pants. EPP. Ooh, that's even got good initials. Yeah, you know me. Um, this, I hate myself. <laughs> Look, the '90s is strong inside you. You can't fight it. Yeah. No. <laughs> Please help me. It's, it's in a pair of parachute pants, trying to crawl out of you. Like in that 90s movie, Bullworth. Yeah. Oh, my God. Bullworth. I've been listening to a lot of Ghetto Superstar recently. Wow. The Warren Beatty movie. Right. With, where he basically is like a politician who like and snaps. He, and he falls in love with Halle, Halle Berry. Halle Berry. Well, who wouldn't right? fall in love with Halle Berry and completely... And he does. Yeah. Wow. Bullworth. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, lines Old Dirty Bastard has in the song, the theme from Bullworth, are totally in unintelligible lyrics. It's now, amazing. my ex-girlfriend Janet and I always used to play this game where, and I don't know why we thought this was funny, but it used to crack us up where we would say, I haven't seen a movie like that since dot, dot, dot. And we would try to come up with the weirdest like <laughs> 90s reference we could think of. That, like a movie like that where you hadn't thought about it in a long time. So you'd go, our, our go-to was always like, I haven't seen a movie like that since Road to Wellville. And Are you that always, my perfect game? That always cracked us up. And so Bullworth, I haven't seen a like, movie like that since Bullworth. A weird running joke in a 90s reference? I am yeah. in. Yeah. The race is on. Well, the next time you see Janet, if you see her, you just you could just drop oh. that. You just drop that and see. If she <laughs> I almost guarantee you she'll say "Road to Wellville." Oh, okay, good to know. That's her go-to. I like it. Yeah, if you want, if you're listening, to I this. haven't seen that since Inventing the Abbots. Oh, nice! <laughs> oh, fantastic! Uh, if anyone's listening, you can <laughs> say to at Janet Varney on Twitter hashtag Road to Wellville. She's not going to know what the fuck happened. <laughs> Continuing oh, the that game. makes me so happy. The other, we had this long-running game in our relationship. When in the very beginning, I, for some reason, I had a little, a little tiny cardboard bookmark that was a promotional item from the original Alien vs. Predator. <laughs> and for, I don't remember how this happened. This is just a personal relationship meme. It would turn up like she found it one day, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I put it in that folder." 
And so she responded by putting it in a weird place that I would then discover by mistake. And so for years, and sometimes it would go away for six months, which made it even, then I would oh, find yeah. it and then like put it in, you know, like, uh, for instance, like a, like a half and half container emptied out and put it in there and then pour it out. And then like, there would be AVP. <laughs> I love how calculated that is. It, it, that game. Cause you're playing the waiting game every day. Exactly. You don't know what's going to happen. And then you would forget. And then you hear from the other room. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then it would disappear and then turn up again oh. at a later date. By the way, I hope that when she looks at hashtag Road to Well, she'll be like, I haven't thought of that movie since Road to Well. So since oh, Ro- I get oh it wait a minute. But I, oh uh, my God. I know, so much fun. <laughs> We'd like to thank them for sponsoring this episode of this podcast, which is uh, Kevin Smith. I think this is a, a threequel. It's the hat trick. Yeah, he's been on for a th- which made sense because he was wearing a hockey jersey. That's why I wrote it. We well, could just say Kevin Smith, and you would know that he was wearing a hockey jersey. But I have so <laughs> enjoyed being friends with Kevin. Such a great guy. He's the best. And I and I say on the podcast, his episode of our podcast was one of my favorites of all time. The first time, you know, like the very first time that he was on, we did it at Smile Castle. Uh, and uh, his movie Tusk is out in theaters this Friday, September nineteenth. And um, he's uh, he's a fucking great guy and very insightful, and you know, and 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 just a. Go out and do your own shit kind of a guy. And I have all the respect in the world for him. So, ladies and gentlemen, the Nerdist Podcast, number 572, with Kevin Smith. Now entering Nerdist.com. Fan cop out, like the one guy. <laughs> I just ran. You didn't have to say Rashida. the one guy. No, I, yeah, did. I, did. Three. I did. I did. Um, I ran into Rashida Jones, and we were just at the Fox lot, and she was walking in to pitch something, man. And the whole time, I'm like, I'm trying to explain to Andy. I was with my friend Andy. Um, He's like, Oh, I know her. Blah blah blah. I was like, yeah, you know her parents, and doing the fucking, like, the lineage thing, where I'm like, that's the daughter of Quincy Jones and fucking Peggy Lipton, one most beautiful woman ever on TV. And I said it loud and cheered. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fucking embarrassing, cause, and, and it's weird, like, a, it's somebody who's a friend, so it's like somebody going, why would my friend talk about me in that very third person, <laughs> gross kind of way? Oh, I was just doing a character about a guy who would, yeah. who would dare yeah. to talk about his yeah. friend. That's what I do with fake friends. With you, I'm reals. I never do sketches with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't do bits. I was thinking about how every once in a while, now that we're almost 600 episodes of the podcast in, oh, that Christ. first... Episode that we did with you at Smod Castle, Vader Pussy. Still one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. Oh, that's awesome. Because I didn't know you at the time really at all, and we just instantly like, like our, our I don't know. We it, were all on the same page. It was so yeah. much fun. And I laugh like seriously, like laughed out loud. You, you know, it's always fun when people say funny shit. You're like, oh, that's fucking funny. But like when you seriously somebody makes you laugh, and you're, you're just like, ah. 
<laughs> that happened. If you listen to that recording, that happened a lot. There was some funny shit. And oh. I love the cartoon. Remember the motherfucker yeah. made the cartoon? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did, uh... National Treasure. Classic film, National Treasure. Just watch the cartoon. Just watch the cartoon. You didn't have to do it again. So you're still mad. I'm still pissed off. He's not going to make another one, Matt. You don't have to. Oh, uh, you're right. Anyway. You're right. Now, now you got a Feeb shirt on, which I is know. nice. These are Branded. hot off the presses, guys. Get it's your Feeb shirts. It's a beautiful fucking shirt, man. Do you sell and, the many... cue from him? Are you wearing your own shirt? Yeah, that's yeah, look at me. I'm one half of these beards. You can see, man, that it's a shirt. It's designed in such a way that the two beards will cup your man boots <laughs> so perfectly. And you know I'm talking to you, gentlemen. Cause... Do you sell the hockey jerseys? I some... don't, and people keep asking, but it would be ridiculous if we sold them because um, they become pricey. The blanks themselves are like 60 to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then the crest, once you make the crest, there's a price to make the plate, and then you know they can make as many as you want. So you're already looking at, like, in order to upsell that, you can't just sell it for what you made it for. Right. Close to 100 bucks for this, it's like, the joke's over. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I thought about you for being a second, but no fucking for a hundred dollars. But also, it's an eighty dollars joke. But a hundred. And it felt. I remember there was a, a company called Abbey Shot Clothiers. They were called, and one day they're out of Canada. They said we want to do the Silent Bob coat. And I said, right on, man. Go ahead. That'd be awesome. Like, they did the Matrix coats. Like, this was just as, like, cosplay was kind of, like, uh, hitting uh, more of the mainstream, not the hardcore or underground. But it was online. There were people like, oh, I want to dress like Neo, which is so fucking strange. Like, you know, to wear that jacket. You really got to be Neo to pull that off. Silent Bob, you just have to be fat. So I understood when they came to me. <laughs> and they were like, this is going to be a big seller. I was like, big and big. I know what you're saying. <laughs> so I signed up with them. I said, go ahead. And it was, like, something ridiculous. Every time they sell a coat, we'd, like, send me 10 percent or something but it gave me a place to point people when they were like i want to dress like uh my friends being jay i want to be silent bob so i could be oh go buy this coat but abby shot they pride themselves on not just like this kind of looks like it it's this is pitch perfect so their matrix jacket was like 800 500 bucks or something like that so the silent bob coat which is a coat that i had bought um in a store called oak tree in the late 80s, kids, uh, in the malls. The, the Oak Tree Store? Do you remember? Oh, my God. That was during my urban phase where I was like, I want to dress like a Cosby kid. And they had these... <laughs> <laughs> they had Oak these... Tree. It was the only place where a young white male could go buy a mustard vest. Yeah. And rock like, it over like, a like pair a, of... A, a shirt that had little uh, dudes with uh, high-top fade a, cuts a, on Or them. like a lime green zoot suit with wingtips. Dude, I had a purple jacket that, was, that had a built-in vest inside which you could button out but it was so joker perfect I was like how come more people aren't shopping at this store it was cosplay before cosplay because I was like I'm dressing like someone far cooler than I am by cos you mean Cosby show absolutely oh, I, like that also you, I like that you were going that was so good I like that you were saying that it's like I was my urban face I feel I'm fucking like shitty I, 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 I'm sorry we have to stop because I'm like come on how did I not see that that was beautiful I'm out of the you know co- comedy is like boggle you know what I mean it's like the game <laughs> you got the right dice. all the answer you got like all the answers are there, but you can't always see them. It's true, man. It's uh, perspective. All right, so there I am. I bought at the oak tree. It was just at the tail end of it when the you know they realized like no, people aren't buying the shit except for the fat guy who comes in every other uh, week. So they had this closing uh, sale rack and they had winter coats on them because um, it was August. So I bought that Silent Bob coat, the one that's in the movies, literally for ten bucks on discount. 
So now if you go try to buy it from Abbey Shot Clothiers, they make a replica. They have to go find the fucking materials. <laughs> oh, they stopped making that coat. And who knows? They made, maybe they made like 500 before they stopped or whatever. But they had to go back and double it and whatnot. And if you want to buy the Silent Bob coat now, I think it's like 400 bucks oh for a $10 coat, man, that I bought on a fucking sale rack in the 80s. But I always knew that, that coat had magic. Remember fucking uh, Chaplin? Yeah, and where it's like he wardrobe. fucking sees the hat yeah, and yeah. shit like that? <laughs> it wasn't quite that, but I I saw the magic ten dollar sign. I was like ten bucks. That's the fun. I can afford that <laughs> magic. That, yeah. But that coat, I kind of, I always willed into everything. I was like, I'm gonna wear that in here. I'm gonna wear it in here. And it, it wound up being the Silent Bob coat. Well, I think someone could just raid. Did you have to? Did you end up having to get duplicates made for like Jane Silent Bob? They did, and they did. It was weird. It was like being a. A Batman figure where they do nine variants where it's like, this is the winter Batman. This is the scuba <laughs> Batman. I had one coat that I could wear in 100 degree heat and it was made of like almost felt. So it looked like a heavy winter coat, but it was light as hell. Then I had one that was made of wool so I could shoot in half and, and still <laughs> never change one of my three expressions that, you know, communicated Silent Bob. Silent Bob aquatic armor. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also like, it was like the John Travolta pants. Like, you know, they say, I've heard early on in my career, they were like, John Travolta's got two sets of pants. I was like, he must be rich. And they're like, no, on a movie set, at lunchtime, they change his pants. So pre-lunch, um, he wears one pair of pants. I don't know if this is fucking true, but I always want to believe it because it sounds amazing. This is post-Pulp Fiction during the Jean Travolta resurgence. Right. Um, pre-lunch, he has one pair of pants. At lunch, part of his lunch was a bunt cake. What? Like a whole bunt cake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not That's kidding. That's my dream. I know. That's why I thought he was the coolest person on earth. I was like, after you get, like, you come back with Pulp Fiction, like, what do you want? He's like, a bunt cake. Wow. <laughs> so he had a bunt cake at lunch, whatever they served, and a bunt cake. He liked bunt cake. And he would consume a bunt cake so that after lunch, they would have a second pair of pants that was one size larger. <gasps> oh, for the... That's crazy. Because he, you know, he put on fuck. You eat a bun cake, it's gonna fucking show. Eventually, Jeez. yeah. Especially as you as you age, it's a little harder to keep those butt cake pounds off. It truly is. But I took a page out of his book. So in the hockey jerseys, some are goalie cut, okay. some are not. <laughs> <laughs> so I could fluidly move between both. And the and the the hockey jersey is such a. I've realized later in life, like, it's become such a, you're that fucking fat prick in the hockey jersey, that if I remove it and put on something else, it's like an invisibility cloak, like Harry Potter invisibility cloak, because you just fall off the radar. I can track you in those colors, but the moment I put on, like, a fucking black thing, I'm just, like, average fat guy walking around. Mischief managed. Yes. The Travolta career path is so fascinating. That because there was that period like before Pulp Fiction, there was like ten years. There was the ba- well, he had the baby movies yeah. where he was like second talking. fiddle. Oh, yes, look who's talking. I'm but so prior sorry. Prior to that, right. there was like a, a drought of but, like he's in the movie about the two dudes who go to communist Russia. Yes, yes, they're in the town. Yes. That Ari Gross was the other guy yes. in that movie. Yes. That movie was oh, what was that movie called? Not the Defectors, but it was something like that. Yes. And it was, uh, and it didn't really, it didn't have like a theatrical release. It was one of the, if I remember correctly, it was the curse of the early 80s, late 80s, early 90s was, it was a straight to video release. Yes. And when that happened, that was like, nowadays you're like straight to video, fucking of course, VOD, same day. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, people don't go to movie theaters. But back then it was like, if your movie went straight to video before theatrical, people were like, Ooh, what happened? And that was one of those movies where they tested it. And it just, people were like, who are these two old men? Because yeah. it was before the Travolta resurgence. Basically, right. the plot of the movie was that these two 
guys are recruited by like the CIA or something to they're like nightclub promoters or something mm. like so that. So it's a comedy. It's a comedy. And they go to this town and they don't and, and it's this like perfect American town, kind of like a footloose town. Yeah. And what you find out in the movie is that it's actually a, an American town that they've recreated in Russia. Mm. And so they're actually all Russian spies and they're trying to basically like infiltrate America and then so and I remember it not being like a terrible. Um, I refuse to be like a '70s kid and be like, "What was it called?" and die wanting to know. To you know. keep talking. What is it? There's basements. No, no, no. It's not basements. Nope. You got to go down to. I would say it was it was pre Pulp Fiction. I'm going to say it's '86 to '94. While he's looking it up, I'll keep it going. So Pulp, Pulp Fiction is '94, right? So it's got to be. I, this is like I'm saying '87 and '94 is the corridor on this movie, and it was one of these flicks that the like experts. that's it. The experts. Uh, the experts. It tested so poorly. They're like, oh, let's just put it out straight to video. It's not a bad movie, but it, you sit there watching it, going like. How long was this list, and, and why did they arrive at these two guys? Yeah, like, you know, I like Eric Gross and I like John Travolta, but neither of them were at their peak, and it was actually like a Cold War concept that could have fucking sold. Right. And then somebody woke up and was just like, "This isn't working," and they didn't they didn't <laughs> fucking release it. But well, yet, you and I remember it. I think because I think it was in the wake of the Spies Like Us. Uh, Which I fucking love Spies Like Us. It's a flawed yeah. movie, but it's like one of the 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 last. John Landis movies of that early John Landis cycle, like right. of of the same uh, cloth as an Animal House or a uh, American Werewolf in London or something like that. Right. Spies Like Us was kind of the last gasp. I think after that it was like Beverly Hills Cop Three for John Landis, and that felt like a completely different beast. Right. Well, the, if you want to listen to an audio comedy commentary of Beverly Hills Cop Three, download Phoebe episode twenty six. Right. Make Mosier not, watch it. It's not enough where you're wearing the shirt. You got to fucking. <laughs> well, you it's know, like flaunting your affair in my face. Yeah. You're like, uh, I Mosher fucked your husband. I had so much more fun than Kevin and Mosher. <laughs> when I went away with him that one weekend. <laughs> louder, Mosher, louder. Talk louder <laughs> into the microphone. You're the host. You're not the co-host. You're the host yeah. <laughs> with the most. <laughs> hey Scott, it's it's Hey Scott, it's Myra. Whatever you're not getting from Kevin, I can get. You. <laughs> well, you son of a bitch! You found the weakness in my army. You stole my man. Um, he has a blast. It's not, I'm, it's nice. By the time I finally got up to five different podcasts, he was like, "I'm doing another one too," <laughs> and I was like, "What?" <laughs> uh, but he has an absolute blast doing that show. But yes, you made him watch it. We, we watched it together. It was uh, it was not Were you pro was, or con. I was I was on board because it was a movie that was on. I feel like it was like when my friends had a black box, it was constantly playing like on Showtime and on. So I saw it dozens of times. And I remember when you say black box, is that a cable channel in the eighties that only shows black actor <laughs> films? <Is> that- <laughs> I'm not black familiar house. with that. The Vampire in Brooklyn play. <laughs> <laughs> Harlem, Harlem Nights. <laughs> oh my God, what an amazing <laughs> But uh, it, uh, it, was, uh, it, it turned out to not be a thoroughly enjoyable experience to watch was that it movie. PG, was it PG-13? Yeah, it was PG-13. No, it's wait. Some weird, some I don't weird think you're allowed. You can't go backwards when you establish a character's R. And then it's one thing, like, there's nothing wrong with PG-13. Like, if you're... Talented people can make that rating fucking sing mm-hmm. and work. It's crazy. You watch Bad News Bears. They didn't have PG-13 at the time. Lord knows they'd probably try to give it an R today. But the original Bad News Bears, PG fucking movie, yeah. man. And it is like one of the still holds up. One of the funniest things you'll ever see. And But would never get made that way today. because They, they tried. They, Richard Linklater they tried. made one. I know, but was, I'm saying like the way that they did it then... Like the kids are swearing and drinking yeah. and they're super racist. Yes. <laughs> like they they yeah. dropped out a lot of they tired they swore a little in the remake, but it was like that era is just 
gone. And in terms of, uh, it's not like we're sitting here as four white guys going, why can't you make racist jokes like they do? No, 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 not at all. But But it's very like. You'd never make it now. No, and you can't make anything like that in terms of like Michael Ritchie, the director, he directed Fletch. He also directed, uh, speaking of Eddie Murphy, Mm -hmm. uh, The Golden Child. He directed that too. He got a performance out of these kids that weren't actors. Tatum O'Neill, of course, was one for Paper Moon and stuff. Fucking Jackie Earl Haley. Jackie Earl fresh Haley. off the fresh off a field somewhere. And Tanner and Ogilvy and Engelbert, all these kids were not like actors. It's not like, oh, I saw these kids like in many commercials or sitcoms. He got them fresh and you watch that movie, it plays like a fucking documentary. Never plays like set up punchline, set up punchline. It literally feels like reality TV, like it's just happening. Yeah. It is so insanely well crafted, man. And the whole time you're watching, you're like, there's no way this is it. it in today's world, it would at least be an R. They'd probably have to fight to get a PG thirteen, but it sailed in the seventies on a PG. Man, so many things that I, so many things I want to hit. So first of all, I watched Fletch again the other night. Still totally holds up. Mm. Fletch lives. That's very sad. Why uh, did you watch Fletch? Are they coming? You go and play Fletch. No, no <laughs> one's asking me to play Fletch. Are they asking you to act yet? No, no one ever asked me. They to ask play. you to host everything, but have they asked you to yeah, act? Yeah, no one ever asked me to act in anything. Do you want to? If they were like, uh, "Hey, man, we want you to act," like not, not the the like, don't you know? We don't want you to fall down the Dane Cook trap, but we want we think like you're funny and you've also got a wide audience. Why don't you stand in front of the camera and say these fake things? First of all, I have no desire to like try to carry a movie. Right. I just want to be. If I were going to, it would have to be something cool, maybe something you know, comedy or sci-fi, something right. fun, something that makes sense in your world. Yeah, and, and it would have to. I would want it to be like a weird character. Like I would never you would want, want a side guy. Yeah, I would want yeah. to be like side guy. I would never want to be like yeah. main guy. You're the dude you in Avengers to... who was playing the video game. Guy yeah, 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 exactly. Like, Missed I mean, opportunity there for weeks. But I don't I know. God damn it. <laughs> the movie could have done something had you been the guy nah. playing Galaga. I don't need to, like, I don't have any delusions that, you know, like, I want to try to, like, like, because a lot of, I think what happens a lot of times is <clears throat> you see people make commerce choices, like short-term commerce choices over like interesting choices. Right. That's why I always love Lisa Kudrow out of Friends. She picked the coolest fucking yeah. movies to Comeback do. Comeback is one of the back. One, Comeback coming back. back. One of the most brilliant shows ever but made. But all the movies that she did out of Friends were like, those are interesting, cool, fun movies and not like Ed. Not like Ed. Yeah. You know? So well, you're saying if, was... if you can have Lisa Kudrow's career, then you'll act. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, dude. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it there it is, to... Hollywood. Uh, Tee it up. Kudrow just, 2. I'm just saying it would have to be like something cool and right. it, you know like but it's a no brainer and you know you could do it I mean, in a world where you, you fucking could do comedy when you do podcasts yeah, nobody ever that. asked and, and I don't pursue that's it that's shocking to me no, and I, don't, I just don't pursue it well I mean you don't have to pursue it like to me it's a no brainer it's like put hardware gun he's got a lot of followers I just assume like if the right thing comes along then I would <laughs> which would be fine piece of shit you heard that <laughs> Chris is Chris is so that's, into that's talking like, that he just rode right us. over it. You know why? You know why that didn't? You know why that didn't register as a blip? Because that is, that's how they think. That's, that's currency heard, yeah. now, dude. Now when they send you, I'm in the process of making another movie. After we wrap us, we went right to Yoga Hosers. We just wrapped that for three quarter shoot, and then we fill it, finish it in March when Mr. Depp is done with his movie. But now I'm back in the world where they send you headshots and shit like that. And at one point we were trying to cast a role in the movie, uh, and they sent me a bunch of names of, of you know 20 to 25 year old actors. But under it, as well as like, here's a link to their IMDb page, and here's like the most current shit they did. Right under it was like, here's their Twitter following. Oh shit. Here's their Facebook following. Oh, here's shit. their Instagram following. Fuck. And in fact, like one of the agencies was trying to cast somebody who was not an actor at all, just an Instagram guy who's an Instagram celebrity. Mm. And they're like, this dude's the bomb. And I was like, well, that's, that's, I'm sure you have to be very leery, first of all, anyone who uses that term. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. like, wait, see, what year is this? The, like 1992. This like, dude's the I'm bomb. Have you seen his MySpace top <laughs> yeah, eight? Yeah. Like, <laughs> he knows 
was all the crisscross lyrics. Um, I was once walking. Shit on sailing because that's a real mellow song. No, not Christopher Cross. Crisscross. I missed the bus. I was walking by when I was working the the E building. I was walking by an office and these two guys were having an argument and the door was open and they were talking about a host and the guy says like I don't care if he's a better host. This guy has so much more Twitter followers. Oh yeah, well that's yeah that's right. That is. I'm telling you, there's a currency because they're scrambling to get their stuff marketed. The nice thing is it's like it's certainly not why we've all been doing it for the last few years but it's nice to know that there's a silver lining to all that um, Instagramming and all that Facebooking and tweeting and stuff that's in our business at least somebody is like oh that means something because that's the only dick I got otherwise I'm no neck <laughs> all meat and potatoes so at least when I, if you put like my tw- if you put my box office up there people are like eh. if you put my Twitter followers or my, my uh, Facebook or whatever people are like oh he's well, interesting well what's, what's interesting about it is that it's the thing that's more about you than what a lot of the other factors are before when it's like What's his box office and what is his, you know, like, is he hot? Right. You know, it's like, you know, you're it's your pictures, your ideas, your thoughts, your, you know, your podcasts. And those are all the things that like that all organically grew out of who you were because people want, you know, like they enjoy that experience. And so it is uh, it is an interesting it is an interesting currency now. But, you know, I don't know. It, 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 <laughs> For a second, it looked like we were going to the deep end of the pool. And then you were like, I don't know, too deep. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about it. We can talk about it. That was amazing. I was like, look at him. He's about to swim. All right, let's go. What do you want to? No, no, but like, in, what, in what sense? Where, where the, uh, it was, we didn't have anywhere to go with that. You're like, it is kind of. How did I think about it? Yeah, we, now we don't even. We could just close that and move on. No, but, but, but I think. Social media is important. Let's just say. Kids. Stay off my booze. There you go. It's important to uh, it's important in the sense that um, you know for our business because uh, individuals became empowered mm. as opposed to you know marketing like you, you you could cripple a marketing team like you know you and I have more collective followers than like all of the studios put together totally so that that actually says something really interesting about like the rise of the individual and the rise of the niche audience and the ri- and like and essentially uh, flipping. The power triangle, you mm-hmm. know, from being a, a a top down to like a bottom up model. So we're all in the bottom, and now we have some control. Everything because everything went niche. You know, it's like they, nobody can earn on a macro, uh, macro level unless you're like putting hundreds of millions of dollars into something. So now they've realized, oh man, like you don't need the uh, uh, a massive audience to make a living. You need a thousand followers. Um, and aren't enough to come see you whenever you do a live show or something like the that. The other thousand true followers, yeah. That's it, man. But, so now they do that in media as well, where they're like, "Well, like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's does it like now they're now starting to pay attention way more to YouTube and Instagram and also Vine. It's crazy, like the things they bring up now, um, casting people or studio side. If if you let them, it's just like really that's the new barometer. That <laughs> makes me fucking happy though, because I'm like that means I'm still relevant. My finger's still on the pulse. Like they're saying words to me that I understand. You know, if they were like tinder i'd be like what but like instagram and facebook and twitter i I can still get my head around and it's a world that i still live in and it feels though like i've been in it so long that they're arriving very late yeah as we're all heading someplace else which i don't know what that is i'm certainly not saying i'm abandoning all these other things but it feels like twitter and facebook and now instagram or which kind of part of facebook have dominated for a while and it feels like something else is about to come i don't know what that is and i doubt i'll be involved in it. <laughs> like well, snapchat my kid does snapchat all the time and i'm like i don't get it why don't 
what do you mean it doesn't stick around forever? What's the point of doing all this if nobody's going to see it a week from now? <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense. And she's like, Dad, it's for sending dick pics. I'm like, oh, all right. Well, I'm just going to carry on. Keep, keep showing people your dick then. <laughs> like a good daughter. Thank you but very much. Ni- but niche, Making your father proud. Ni- niche now, I think, doesn't even have to mean small anymore. I think it just means hyper-focused. I, yes. Because um, they know that your audience, those thousand people that follow you, they're like, all right, well, if they follow them to this, will they follow them to this? Oh, and they well, can count on that audience. Yeah, the movie that you... Uh, and it's in the Kevin Smith film club it's uh, Losers Take All yes. which is I fucking love that movie I saw you I saw you on Twitter I, I started I fucking love it it's it's so good but like I watched it and I, I was like so invested in it and then afterwards I started thinking about I was telling people about it and I was like oh wow like some people wouldn't get like the conversation they have this conversation about Hugh Skirdu signing to uh, you know Warner Brothers and like but for you you're like <gasps> the, yeah, yeah, yeah it's breathtaking yeah, somebody it was, said Oscar do yeah it was beautiful right. I, I fucking loved it but like uh, it's but like that very, is for a very, very select focused. audience yeah. where back in the day a studio or a mini major as they were called back then would take a roll of the dice like my whole career begins because uh, Harvey Weinstein sells Miramax to Disney and in the press which is not the internet what it is now but there's still in the press there were people sniping about what would happen to Miramax like all the interesting films will stop happening now that they're part of the fucking Disney family. So I kind of got in on this little window where because they had to make a statement about like, oh, fucking, we're still making uh, fucking indie films. They went to Sundance that year and there was this fucking really scrappy, really foul mouth, anti-Disney American independent film that they could be like, people like it? Great. We're buying that. And it makes a statement, man. Suddenly they come through the door going, we're still doing what we used to do. We still got edge, even though we're owned by these guys. So in the beginning, it used to like, the Weinsteins were so smart about going like, you don't need everybody. You just need this many people. Right. And if you strategically sell it or if you position it in such a way as like the crying game where it's like, you got to see this movie. We're not going to tell you what happens in it, man, but there's a dick, you know, or something like that. <laughs> Spoilers. They, uh, you know, suddenly they turned it into like uh, must-see TV in the cinemas. And when you watched indie film world grow, but then it kind of got to this breaking point where like you're making 50 to $75 million quote-unquote indie films. Right. And the whole thing caved in on itself, and every studio got rid of all their boutiques and stuff. Like Disney sold Miramax and bought Marvel. You know, much better investment and shit. Look how much money they're making. So it, it changed. Everything changed. And for a while, indie film was just kind of non-existent except for the the mumblecore kids mm-hmm. and stuff yeah. but after that man there was no more like you know f- uh, one to five million dollar indie film certainly not the mid-range or middle budget film but mid-range budget film that used to exist to the 20 to 30 million dollar must love dogs or something like that right. and i'm certainly not advocating more must love dogs but well, i think we should reboot uh, it you know you know what i'm saying yeah, exactly yeah. i think it's we should a, reboot it when it's on i watch it i <laughs> yeah. never fucking go like must love dogs suck my dick i go must love dogs i'm watching it <laughs> but in any event that kind of went away so it, this new model has kind of popped up where you know people are just like just make it for that person's audience or go with go there like for me i got to a place where i priced myself how to do an interesting shit for a long time because my salary kept going up based on my contract with like miramax or the weinstein company they pre-schedule what you're going to make you know third film fourth film fifth film and it's not like if your movie does this then on this film like no this is what you're making in the future man and soon you're making more money to write and direct a film or at least I was and this was in the heydays before the financial collapse and stuff back when Miramax was owned by Disney they would pay me more to make a fucking movie write and direct a movie 
than was budgeted to pay for all of mall rats when it happened. Oh and God. you get to a place where now my ideas were not mainstream and never will be. So it was never like, okay, my salary's going up and now I've just been holding on to the mainstream shit until I was getting <laughs> paid the mainstream bucks and here's my big mainstream dick. I'd whip out the same little no neck, all head, all balls dick. <laughs> <laughs> on, on, a, on a budget that but, was close but to the mainstream. But a $100 bill. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, look at it. Well, that it's is all more about appealing. The that is more appealing. Yeah. more appealing. So at that point, you're kind of like, uh, ah, shit, man. I can't do the shit that got me here. Like, what got me here was uh, a mind snap many years ago based on wanting to see a movie that I recognized you and him and him, who I didn't know yet, but I'll just phrase it this way. Back then in the day, I loved comedy. I loved Animal House, but I never identified with the Deltas because they killed a horse, and I would never kill a horse, even by accident and shit. <laughs> and so, like, you could always go so far, you can root for the underdogs in those movies, but I never saw myself reflected. You know, so I always want to see me and my friends, or the people like us, the people that now they make tons of fucking movies about. Dudes who sit around and talk about other movies. That's their fucking language in order to talk about relationships and fucking Star Wars and pussy and all that shit that I never saw anybody else doing movies and stuff. And I was always like, why won't they make a movie that's like about me and my friends and not about us specifically because you know obviously why would they but just that why can't I see us up there and like why don't I see me and my friends and I bitch about it for a long fucking time and one day it fucking hit me man and it was like the awakening moment and it was probably shortly after I saw Richard Linklater's slacker film because I was going like I it, there was a mind snap there's this moment where I was like Kevin nobody gives a fuck about you and your friends. Nobody will ever make any entertainment about you and your friends. If anyone's going to make anything about you and your friends, it's got to be you. So I went and made clerks and that changed my fucking life. So years later, 20 years later, almost I'm sitting around on one of these dopey podcasts that we all love doing so much with a guy that, Cheats on me behind my back over here. <laughs> no, he does it in front of your face. Actually. He does. He really just sucks him you've off, been, like looking at me with those eyes. You've been, like, don't look at me. You've been cuckolded by Myra. <laughs> it is. I'm under there, man. I'm like, I'm, I'm doing the fucking lick while he's fucking. Like, it's yeah, real yeah. awkward. Um, face planting, I believe it's called. You never moan like that with me. <laughs> yeah, I cry when it goes It's on. like one of those Russian sell your girlfriend videos. Come on, guys. We all know what we're talking about. <laughs> I, it was really embarrassing because nope, he bought me an extra wait. small, really small genital I, cuff. It was really I laughed Russians at you. Girlfriend videos? What? what was it? What did you say? I don't know. What did you say? Uh, what? I don't we know. We were what you're talking about. Cuff. You were talking about Russians. We could have <laughs> such a party if we put those two thoughts together. Um, I was on one of those podcasts with Mosier. I talked about it, I think, a while ago, man. I've talked about it everywhere, and I'll be talking about it until I'm blue in the face for the next week because the movie comes out on Friday. But we did an episode of Smodcast where we talked about this dopey thing online we read from Gumtree.uk where a dude was like, ah, you can live in my house. If you dress up like a walrus for two hours every day, and I'll throw you fish and crap. See, it's funny. It captures your imagination right away. Right away, you go, oh, my that's, God, that's weird. And it was, I found it online. You know, it was one of those things somebody tweeted at me, and, I, and we did a whole episode about it. And while I just re listened to the episode this morning, the, the first half hour of it, and you can hear my mind snap again, man. It's awesome because I, I can, didn't have the first one on tape or any recording I just, it was just it happened in real life and you know me I, there's nothing worth doing unless you can record it and podcast <laughs> it for others to absorb and go yeah well done Kevin he's still doing well <laughs> bar is still low but he's still yeah. doing well we're still with you on your journey so there I am uh, sit, we sit there talk about this dopey story and you can hear it on the podcast me going like oh my god this could be a movie and me and Mosier start building this fucking movie same way we do on every fucking episode of this podcast start doing dopey sketches and giggling and crap like that but there's a moment where i get all serious and it's because inside i was sitting there going 
oh god this sucks like i fucking sit there every night and i roll through everything on netflix and everything on apple on itunes looking for something that i just want to like oh, i don't I, i've never heard of this let me do this and i see a sea of opportunity but nothing that no no purchase for my leaky boat like nothing where i'm like oh my god that's the ultimate movie for me to watch right now and as we were sitting there talking about it i was like that's the fucking movie i've been looking for like i want to see the movie about a guy who turns another guy into a fucking walrus like that's amazing and i get sad inside because i'm like why won't they fucking make this Hollywood. Like, oh well, just, you didn't see the Wilford Brimley documentary. <laughs> it was damn. I slowly turned into a wall. Yeah. They just didn't take it far enough. So I was sitting there, like in the in the podcast. You literally hear me fucking. The mind snap kind of happens again, where I'm like, dude, nobody is ever going to make this stupid fucking walrus movie except you. <laughs> so if you want to make it, go make it. And suddenly in the podcast, I'm like, oh, copyright Kevin Scott, man, because this is a horror movie. And we start building it. And so I, I said, hashtag it. I'm going back to Twitter. Uh, walrus, yes. If you think it's a good idea, Walrus, no. If you don't think it's a good idea, the next morning I got up and I couldn't wait to see. Because I was really like, I I'd submitted the script for Clerks 3 in the budget and I was waiting on word from the Weinsteins as to whether or not we were going to be doing that. And I was back at this fucking place where I'm like, fuck, the world of gatekeepers where I have to wait for somebody to say yes in order, to me to, in order for me to practice some of my art. Fuck, I left this world. I was in the world of podcasting where I'm like, I want to do a show and you sit down in front of a mic and it fucking Well, yeah, happens. because when we first podcast you so many, a couple of years ago, three years ago, you were like, I'm quitting movies. Yeah, I'm done yeah. with it. I just want to fucking do podcasts i don't want to deal with this for shit that anymore. very reason because the intimacy and the immediacy of this medium is such that you just sit down with people you like and have a good fucking time and achieve something in the process um you know if you talk for an hour you're gonna have a show that fills a fucking slot you're up to like you said up to episode 300 and shit or what is eight almost 600 yeah so it's like everything is usable because we've proven by putting show after show out there that somebody out there is interested in the shit that we're interested in and then we talk about. So that's what's beautiful about this fucking medium. So I used the podcast that moment and I used Twitter to be like, all right, man, if you think it's a good idea, cool. Next morning, everything, all of, t all of the tweets were walrus yes. <laughs> and then there was one walrus no and it was a dude going, I really mean walrus yes, but for the democratic process, I feel I should say no. <laughs> And so at that point, I'm sitting there going, okay, I can wait for the phone to ring and Bob Weinstein to be like, you can you give me click three? Or I could just... <laughs> <laughs> or as Bob Weinstein. Or I can honor the kid that got me here. Like, you know, it, uh, Clerks 3, I'm going to make it, I swear, and it's beautiful, but it's the third iteration of something I said 20 years ago. This walrus thing was batshit crazy and stupid, but it was new. Like, I hadn't done this before. The people aren't going to be like, oh, fucking walrus movie from Kevin Smith again, eighth one. They will eventually, but not on this one, not on the first one. <laughs> so I sat there and I was like, fuck it, I'll start writing this. And they said walrus, yes, yeah, so they obviously think it's a good idea. I started writing. I gave the first few pages to my wife, and, and she doesn't really like anything I do. She liked Red State, but she's not into the Jane Son Bob stuff. She's like most film critics, man. It's like I married a film critic. <laughs> so, uh, was was it, one, was one of my film critics, that's not, the thing. Yeah. particularly of me. Did you do that? Because you're like, I can turn one of them. I can turn one Maybe of them. Subconsciously, but you know, she's always like, Kevin, isn't it more important that I'm a fan of you? And I'm like, I don't think you understand me and my art at all. <laughs> <laughs> me and my art are one. Yeah. That's um, something like a mom says too. Like you know, I don't have to understand everything you do. Yeah, I love yeah, you yeah. because you're you. Like I don't get it, but I yeah. like that you're. Some people must. Yeah. I had one of those quote unquote big boned mothers who always told me I was big boned, and the bones <laughs> would change as I grew and stuff. So I know that feeling. But she, but uh, so I, I showed it to her, and she was like, "This is weird. What is this?" And and she never listens to the podcasts, so she didn't know that like me and Mosher had this conversation. So I was like. 
oh, it's me and Moj did this thing. And I thought she would immediately shut down. Because anything, anytime I have a good time without her, fuck that. So <laughs> if I'm enjoying, if I'm down the highway, hallway doing smodcast and she hears us like, ah, 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 and I'm crying. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm like, gasping for breath. That never really makes her feel good. Like, good for Kevin. Right. It makes yeah. her go like, the fuck? Why does he laugh like that with me? You know? Yeah. So, so we, she doesn't listen to Smogcast. So I thought I would tell her, like, uh, hey, man, this came from Smogcast. And she'd be like, would you stop this shit? Like, it's bad enough you do that all the time. But instead, she was like, I fucking like this. Is this Smogcast? And I was like, yeah, man. We only do it in your house. <laughs> We've been doing it for years. But she's like, finish, finish writing this. She's like, I just finished writing, reading a book, so I need something to read. So I was like, all right. And I went back and I, I continued writing. So I finished it and and uh, I put it up online. I mean, I, I put up online like, I'm going to do this, man. I wrote a blog about like, I'm going to move forward with this. And I'll be honest with you, it all comes back to like fucking our world and Twitter and shit like that. I put up, uh, you know, those walrus yes. I put up the episode, put up the hashtag and shit like that. <clears throat> the next day, people would listen to the episode a bunch. You know, you get a bunch of reactions like funny, blah, blah, blah. But there were a couple of reactions on Twitter and Facebook, and this was the tenor of the reactions, and it fucking stopped me dead in my tracks, and it made me go, oh, fucking, this is badass. We got an opportunity here, a teaching opportunity. There were a couple cats who were just like, is that it? Like, are you fucking serious? Is that allowed? Is that how you begin? Because me and Scott sat there, and we didn't, like, fucking pull out a magic trick bag of storytelling and start, you know, working alchemy to make a movie. We literally sat there, and I was like, remember in Act 3 of Iron Man when fucking Jeff Bridges comes out in a bigger suit? We'll fucking do a bigger suit, man. And I guarantee you, you go watch that uh, Tusk, you'll never sit there and go like, oh, they stole the Iron Man ending. Right. But it was uh, part of the process. Sure. And there were a bunch of people sitting there listening who never they want to get their miracle started they just don't know how to self-start and the beginning step they're like there must be a, a rule book there must be some way to they're do it they're intimidated by their perception of what they think the process is yeah, which that it's is... a giant leap across a chasm and all they heard was two dudes walking down the street just going like oh it could be like this movie oh it could be like this movie oh it could be like this and they were mystified by it. Not everybody, but there were a few people. And that fucking grabbed me because I'm like, these are motherfuckers who would love to do what I do, just don't know how to get started. So I was like, maybe I can open source the whole fucking movie. Because this is very rare that you get an opportunity where they heard the moment of inspiration. Literally, you can go back to that podcast and add ping at, for the moment that I'm like, holy shit, this could be a movie. Because a year later, we're at six months after the podcast went up, I was sitting on a set staring at the Apple guy going, action, and he's yeah. just like a walrus. So I'm like, <laughs> from that point forward, it was like, I, I just kind of pushed the whimsy. It wasn't about like fucking like, this has got to happen. I was like, let's just see if we can make it happen. But part of the journey, man, part of the reason that I was like, fuck it, that'll fuel me. Because 20 years on anything, you start looking, that's 20 years on a career I'm in, you start looking for new reasons just to fucking do shit, just to make you fucking like yeah this is the reason i'll do it that's all you need and it's like when you were asking me about movies it's like i'm at a point where i only work on stuff that sounds fun to me Bingo. that it's that's that to me is like oh yeah i would love to work with those people or whatever and that's the best reason to do anything i want to see this thing exist and it sounds fun or that guy has a great idea for something that should exist and they're fun people and they're nice and that's it. That's literally that's literally it. For me, this one, I wanted to see the Dopey Walrus movie. It sounded fucked up. And I don't think I'd laughed that hard in a long time. And like I was like, all oh, these ideas are fucking wacky, stupid, and brilliant. Like I want to see them come to life. But the idea of like we got this audience and you know, for twenty years they've been like fucking following and supporting and like, you know, here's my fucking money and crossed their fingers like fuck, it's not clerks again. 
But they've been around for a while, though. Follow me to the podcast. Like, I was able to build something with the podcast where I could do whatever the fuck I want. Got to a place where I could be like, I'm only going to do things that make me fucking happy. Yeah. Made a living somehow off of fucking just sitting around talking, you know, to my friends and blah, blah, blah. And that's all because the audience is there, you know, to fucking go see us live, go support us. Those numbers that we talk about, apparently they fucking matter, you know, those social media numbers. So all that stuff matters. And it's like, you give them the podcast for free, uh, you know, you can't give them the movies for free because fucking nobody will let you do that i tried they get shitty but the podcast you can pump them full of fucking free and stuff but it's like the ultimate give back to an audience that really cares about that process about say in this instance film and also our audience is made up of a bunch of them who are like i would like to take the same fucking journey you took or my variation of your journey to be able to be like okay you literally heard the moment of inspiration now i'm going to take you all the way through to fucking premiere i'm mm-hmm. going to take you through the fucking theatrical like lit a fire under my ass where I was just like, Oh my God, they can see everything and they can watch me like go for it and fail. And the shit that we tried to do that didn't work. And Blumhouse was going to do it at one point and then they pulled out and shit. And you know, I got to show them too, that it wasn't like, well, this was fucking, you made clerks. Of course you could do this bullshit. That red state stuff. I burned my career to the ground, salted the earth and was like, fuck you. So long for all. And thanks for all the fish. <laughs> and so nobody wanted to work with me. So I was able to show them like, you can fucking do this. Like I literally sat here with Scott Mosher and said some of the dumbest, things i've ever said in my life and had a blast doing it it just requires some fucking follow through and you know it's like yeah we found some cool people to give us money this company demaras but they were the second time first cats were like fuck this unless you have a movie star we're not making this movie and for me at that point i was like you know i asked my wife i was like you like the script man what if i can't get money she's like fuck it put the house up so it was gonna happen either fucking way and i felt like this is a perfect example to open source the whole fucking thing for the audience because the greatest gift you could give a man is like you know, motherfucker, like, give a man a fish. Teach a woman and man a fish, man, and fucking let them do this shit. You know, I sit there every day on a stage or in front of a microphone and say, do this. You could do this. It's fucking fun. And I meet people everywhere I go. And it's so awesome where they're like, I got a podcast. We're coming up in episode 20. What's it called? Ninja Turtle Ass Fucker. Oh, that's amazing. Because <laughs> every name is some punk rock name where you feel like you're a part of something. Did you just have the brain click thing just now after you said Ninja totally. Turtle Ass Fucker? Totally. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm Wait going home and recording Guys, that I'll podcast. Be back. <laughs> but it feels like, like we got to look at history and like punk rock happened without us and none of us are musicians and we can never be a part of that but we are part of some weird fucking talk punk rock movement where you can fucking like fuel people's imagination and let them do the same thing you do it's my, I, I'm a big advocate everything I like I talk about and fucking in a big way and one of the things I've loved most of everything I've done in my entire life let alone the last 20 years of a career is fucking podcasting. It is so fucking simple and free. Movies, I'd go tell people, like, go be a movie maker. Make clerks that work for me. But the thing you never tell people is, like, it's fucking expensive. You know, because making movies is like playing hockey. You need ice. That's expensive. You need sticks. You need equipment. You need skates. Like, can't just pick a ball and a stick and go for it. So now with podcasting, you could literally tell anybody. Fucking, like, you can record a show on your fucking phone or laptop. And who knows what comes from a kid? That was the other part of the experiment. It's like, we made a fucking movie off of this podcast. Anything's possible. They're making TV shows off of podcasts. Like, kids jump in the fucking pool. Well, yeah, like, I, I mean, I still... Some kid just tweeted me today. He was like, hey, I'm trying stand-up in Portland for the first time because you guys talked about it so much. Yeah. You know, like, that happens all the time. But the other important thing to remember is that... I think the other important lesson is the, the idea that... Uh, 
that you can fall on your face and then still get up and make a you tusk. You have to fall on your like face. You, 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 need can... to, you need to fucking fail in order to win. Like, failure is just success training. Very rarely do you fucking rocket something out the park first shot. I got lucky in my career. Clerks, the first thing I ever did. And right away, people were like, holy crap, this is fucking different. And then right after that, I was dealt the very harsh lesson of mall rats, <laughs> which I was like, oh, if they like that, they're going to love this. And they're like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and it wasn't for another 10 years before the audience was like, no, that movie's actually cool. So then Chasing Amy, my, my, my life and career is a series of like clerks and then mall rats and then Chasing Amy and then Dogma. And then Jane, there's a period where I was right about here. Jane, Son, Bob, Shake Back. But then Jersey Girl and then Clerks too, and then Zag and Mary and then Cop Out. So... I've been to both ends of the spectrum. It's way cooler when people say nice things. But with this movie, I really didn't give a fuck. Like, I've just reached that point in my career where I don't give a fuck. And that's the, where some of the coolest art comes from. Most artists get to that point in their career where they're just like, oh, I don't give a fuck Because anymore. the important thing about that is that it, you're not doing it for anyone else. No. And once you start chasing what other people like... Which I did for years. You can get so fucked so fast. Middle of my career, I spent trying to do what the market would bear. You know, and at one point, Zach and Mary, which is a movie I love dearly, and I was happy to work with Rogan and stuff, but that's a movie that exists solely because I was like, Apatow is being very successful at making the same kind of movie that I was making for fucking 10 years. So I'm going to make that movie again and fucking make me some of that Apatow money. And I was chasing the puck, man. I love that fucking adage. That chasing wa- Famey? Chasing Famey, if you will. Sounds so disgusting. Thanks, guys. It was, it was the one no, porno they ever made of my <laughs> stuff. <laughs> that and of jerks, of course. Um, but uh, what did Wayne Gretzky's dad say? He told him when he was trying to teach him to play hockey. He said, don't go where the puck is. Go where the puck's going to be. And so for the last few years, I was like, well, where's the puck going to be? Tusk felt like where the puck was going to be not just because I'm like well this is fucking different but because they always ask for different they're always like we hate sequels and remakes and I was so terrified I was going to go to Toronto and bring something like you know we went to the Toronto Film Festival and bring Tusk which is kind of original and then they'd be like not from you from a talented director <laughs> but thankfully they, they were, seemed okay with it but it, it, it did I got to the point where I'm like I don't give a fuck like I've been to both ends of the spectrum um, I've worked inside a studio and out. I've done everything more than I ever thought I would ever fucking do in this business or any of these businesses over the course of fucking 20 years. So just fucking reboot and now do what you want. Like do the same thing that got you here. What got me here was me going like, I want to see a movie about me and my friends. What kind of brought me back, if you will, was me going, I want to see this movie about this walrus thing. And I just want to put in all the shit I like. Like I love joking around about Canada. Fuck it. I'm going to set it in Canada. Hit somebody, the hockey series I've been working on for fucking a while, started as a movie, then it became a mini series. So entrenched in Canada. I've wanted to do Canada for so long. So I'm like, don't wait. Fucking do it now. And it's in Tusk. And that it kicked off this True North trilogy. Now we're going to make two more films. So it begins with Tusk. The second one we already finished three quarters of, Yoga Hosers. And then the third one is uh, Moose Jaws, which is just Jaws with a moose. So three fucking rubber movies. Robert Kurtzman, the guy who did From Dust Till Dawn and shit. Mm-hmm. He built our walrus in the movie, which looks fucking sublime. Um, I, I've, I got to do shit that I wanted to do when I was a kid. Like when I started making movies... I didn't make the movies that I loved growing up. I made the movie I can make, which was like Clerks. But the movies I loved growing up were rubber movies, man, Reanimator, From Beyond, or David Lynch or David Cronenberg. The movies I sat around with my friends would be like, this fucked up. Yeah. Isn't that fucked up? And that's the best rating you could give a movie. Not like four stars or two thumbs up. You'd be like, this fucked up. Watch it. Yeah. You give somebody a fucking tape. <laughs> you got to see this You t- got to yeah, see yeah. this but that's, fucked up. But, but it's so important. I think what's really important is why it's important to make the thing that you enjoy that means something to you is because... 
Uh, you can't guarantee anybody else will give a shit. And you can't. And so when you're at making... At least you'll like it. Exactly. At least at the end of the day, you'll be like, I made exactly so what I wanted to make. So if it tanks, if something tanks and you knew that you were pandering or trying to do something, and then you're, you fucking hate yourself even more. Yeah. But if no one goes to see Tusk, at least you know, like, hey, I don't care. I made this thing that I wanted to I'd see. I'd die on happy. that Tusk. This yeah. was what I wanted. Yeah. But yeah. also, it goes to the, the thing. It's like where it's, you know, if you find yourself saying, wouldn't it be cool if somebody... Or you know what someone should do? It's like if you find yourself saying Be someone. Yeah. That is that's the magic potion. Be that someone. Be that magic that's a magic potion. That's those are the words right there. If you ever hear yourself saying, Why don't they? Yeah. The next fucking th- uh, you just end it with an ellipsis and go start it. Because you found something so fucking rare in this world, unclaimed real estate. You know how fucking valuable that is? Everything has been fucking done, kids. You go online and you will watch a horse fuck a man. Everything has been fucking done. And a documentary could, about it. Yes, yes. Like somebody going like, it's not fucked up. We're going to make a documentary about it. So when you find something that's like, nobody's on this fucking block of land, or you go through a door nobody's gone through before, because like, who would go through that fucking door? Who wants to go through the man to walrus door? Be first in something because I, I, if anything I learned from Tusk, man, I haven't gotten reviews like this fucking in years. People are like, oh my God, good or bad, it's fucking different. And that made me so happy. They embraced kind of different, even from the likes of me. People don't credit themselves with being, you know, interesting in the sense where you go, uh, well, tell me about your life. You know, like, what do you want to talk about? I don't know. You know, you know, my dad was a farmer, my mom, but that's not interesting. Like, no, 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 wait. Yeah, you, you know, like people forget that they are—they are kind of the commodity. It's like you are—you are a unique collection of experiences and molecules that is unlike anything else in the world. And your so story, dude, is the only currency you have in this. There life. is there is an intersection of uh, that you know. There's an intersection of a multitude of ideas that make up you, and. If you start exploring those and mashing those up, the more specific you are, the more unique your ideas. And so you just people just need to recognize that they themselves are actually it's not the idea is not out there somewhere. Yeah. You have to chase inward, you know, like you shouldn't chase outward because that's everyone that's where everyone else is. And that's where the puck is. Like the moment you start going, what does everybody else want? It's like fuck that. Serve yourself. Be masturbatory. What do you want? Because yeah. chances are Maybe 10,000 people out there think like you. If you keep your budget low enough, like Tusk was under 3 million bucks, you can make the money back in foreign sales and shit like that. Then you can go do something weird. You know, as long as you're fiscally responsible with what you're spending to do the weird or whatever, do the thing that is that you want to do, you can absolutely do it. And this age of, of entertainment, so much easier for people to get into than years prior, even when I jumped in. Because back in the day, they wanted you to normalize and sheep it the fuck up. So much so that the note system in the studios was like, it was a laughing stock. It was a joke on late night shows because they would take anything original and homogenize the fuck out of it to appeal to the widest possible audience. Right. And they ain't chasing that dollar anymore because those people don't play those games, man. There's definitely things everybody seems to like, like Big Bang Theory and stuff like that. But the real money is the moment everyone figured out that it's micro, not macro. The moment they're like, wait a second, man, he fucking has this many followers and shit and they're not spending any money to make that? Like, that's a marketer's dream. You know how much money we got to get to get that many people to watch one of our fucking TV shows so suddenly it goes from people going like we don't want you to fucking uh, be you like when john Wu 
Wu comes to America and they have a test screening for Hard Target and the studio goes like, what's with all the birds and the bullets? <laughs> you know, <laughs> they want to take all the Wu out of Wu. Like, they don't want to de-Woo you anymore. Now they want you to Woo-be-woo. be... Woo-be-woo. 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 It's very, very true at this point because now your voice is the currency. Like, they could get a thousand people to execute a comedy, a generic comedy or a generic action movie, but a perspective, a fucking point of view, one that's already covering followed or something like that that's huge doesn't have to be somebody that's just like oh everybody loves this motherfucker worldwide they're like what do you got how many people no, 10 100,000 you're looping in. back around to what you were saying with like you know the basically audition tapes are like vine and twitter and youtube and because uh i mean you know in in the old, in the old days and by this i mean like 6 7 years ago um, you know the a- the agencies were essentially the platform because yeah. they were the ones who would deliver. Oh, you need to see this person. You need to see this person. And now it's social media and someone's kid going, "Hey, I fucking love this guy." And then the oh, interesting agents so playing catch up. It's basically you know so much of the business has become uh, unintentionally crowdsourced. Yeah, and, and so that. Is a very pa- that's but a very it's much powerful more shift. Democratic. I mean, sadly, every once in a while, it means you get a Justin Bieber, but it means that like there are a bunch of people out there who are fucking seriously talented who are going to get a shot that never would have had a shot. There, 20 yeah, there's years a wider ago. net for potential meritocracy, and everybody sits there and they always go, "How do I get in? How do I get in?" And it's like, dude, Make it's it. it's do at it. your fingertips. Like, start with your Twitter account, start with your Facebook, start with your Instagram, start with the YouTube. Like, start building something. Literally nothing to there, lose. Yeah. Literally nothing to lose. By you have fun stuff. doing it. Like, you'll have a blast fucking doing it. You'll learn doing it. You'll get better at it because you just do it over and over again. Malcolm Gladwell, ten thousand hours. And all that shit but also you never fucking know you never know it could become a fucking movie it could become a tv show it could become it doesn't maybe it doesn't become one of those things but becomes the things that saves your fucking life where you're like i get up every morning just to fucking sit here and talk to my friends on a podcast like you don't know what it's gonna be either way you'll have fun in the process bang and what's better than that like dude my i can't i could point to amazing things that have happened to me and that i've done over the course of 20 years but if you line them all up, I could still say, like, I'd much rather sit down with, like, any number of the people that I podcast with because I know I'm going to get the freest, cheapest tie on the planet. I'm going to fucking laugh until my stomach hurts. And people pay for that kind of shit. And if I can get that for free off of somebody I know and it becomes a race about, like, I'm going to make you laugh. You're going to make me laugh. What, that's, that's, what the fuck are we doing this for you if know what's, not that? Yeah. You know what's fun, what's fun to me about you is that you are uh, – when you, when you listen to everything that you say – there's there's so much there's a lot of insight and there are really it's like you somehow i i i wonder if this is a conscious thing where you go oh malcolm gladwell 10,000 hours and shit it's like you you almost uh, it's like you were you're like you guys t- like you diluted my entire life's work down to no shit. not that but it's the idea that <laughs> fuck you but you but, learned nothing in 10,000 hours at the core of it is the idea of like oh he you know he read blink yeah. Uh, or outliers. Actually, that was outliers. outliers. He, he read outliers, and you know, like that—that that you are uh, that you there is there is academia behind what you say, but you frame it in such a way that's very relatable. Like you remind I, you know, the, I hope I hope you take this as a compliment. <laughs> oh boy, beef, <laughs> never, never good when you say that. No offense, but <laughs> beef Wellington with tater tots. Oh, I like. That. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. It's like there's a really choice piece tots, of meat right there, that but it's compliment. surrounded by tots, so it's like, oh, it's totally relatable. <laughs> it's fun to like, eat. Like it's not. It doesn't feel like out of my. Uh, first of all, it's a it's a mushroom compote, and then it's a it's a it's a. You're it's a mushroom a, compote. It's a good job. Tater tots. What's that compote? You're describing a Wellington. 
Wellington. I can't around. hear anything besides all the mushroomy stuff coming out of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait a sec. Why, wait a sec. why are you high fiving? <laughs> this mushroom thinks he can talk. <laughs> Did you just call him on the uh, on the mushroom compo? Yeah. And you called them first on the mushroom. Well, compo? I called them on describing a food big nerd. <laughs> Boston foodie. Gordon Ramsay. Well, he makes a hell of a beef well. I know, <laughs> but I'm but I'm saying but I'm it's saying that um, the other thing about the other thing is that you do have an incredible amount of knowledge and, and understanding of the inner workings of this business. Yeah, I, you know that's just, well, that's, you stick around something long enough and pay attention, and, and that kind of shit in the beginning was interesting. Like I used to love reading the trades and stuff, and, and now not so much. Now I don't. I, now I follow by default, but not as much as I. It used to be religion, like get up and consume all this stuff about other people doing things because it makes you want to do your own shit. Sure. To, particularly back in the day, not so much anymore. It's not really a motivator for me. Anymore. That's the healthy. That's the healthy approach to competition. Yeah. Yes. So people. As you opposed know, like, to like, why the fuck? Yeah. Competition is very healthy as long as it motivates you to to raise your game of excellence. But competition is bad when it's like, I'm gonna burn that guy to the ground because he's something I want. It's like you see someone doing something that you that like a little bit of jealousy in the sense of like creative jealousy. Like, oh, I wish I'd thought of that. I'm gonna make something that I think is really cool. But we can all succeed. Like, there's no reason that we all I can't say, succeed. You've got to be shitty about it because the human nature is to be shitty, right? We gravitate toward the negative. It's just it's who we are, and particularly in the internet, we're allowed to be anonymous about it. So naturally, that's we get a control. Even that's control. You when you you exercise control. Well, there's a perception that you're exercising control over something if you tear it down. It's right. sort of like the uh, in um, uh, in uh, uh, Candide. Mm-hmm. He's uh, and shit. And Candide and shit. <laughs> there you go. Throw it away. Uh, throw it away. I think it was Candide, but basically he's uh, he meets this guy uh, who uh, who basically just shits on everything, and he's like, "Wow, you know." And the, the, the main character is kind of adult. Uh, he's naive, and so he ba- he's like, "Wow, you." You know, the stomach that can never be satisfied, whatever the quote is. Basically, the, the man who can never be satisfied by anything surely must be the smartest man. He's like, you're fucking stupid. Right. You know, like he basically just flat out says, that's dumb. I, that's why I say if people like, and I've got, you know, over the years I've had a lot of fucking haters and shit. And I'm always like, why not, like, hating on me, dude? Like, all the time spent to write that fucking, you know, blog or whatever the fuck. You could have, like, started something. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to use me negatively, use me thusly. If this fat piece of shit can make it work, there's no reason why I can't be a thousand times more successful. But they don't go that way. It's much easier to just be like, fuck them. Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, like the, the clerk's poster that I got when I was 16. I'm packing it this week, and it is moving into the house that I paid for with writing. Oh, my God. So it is like... Aww, compote! <laughs> Little compote has made it all the way to Massachusetts. He's mushroomed into a successful individual. That's really sweet. He's a real fun guy. But it's like... Hey! You just made up for the Cosby thing. Thank you. I know. I was sure I had to get in there one before the show. I had to make a movie based on your life, Compote. (laughs) (laughs) But it's the it's the only like that's the that's the last of the sixteen year old posters that I really from when I still why that one. Because I, because you're like, if this motherfucker, did you ever have him sign it? He's, it's signed. Oh, Because I ordered it from from the website. Yeah, from VSQ. 
Uh, <laughs> I wanted you to go, that's not signed by me. <laughs> hey, I know, that's Sorry, a machine. A <laughs> uh, but uh, I always like that, that the, the clerks was always just this like. It makes you want to make a, like, a oh, flick, man. Yeah, that that was, was, like, that, honestly, my first essay in college was about clerks. And was, really? Yeah, and I don't know where Matt, the fuck you don't make me cry. What was it about? It was about just the idea of like, I, I framed it around how Terminator 2, I like, it was weirdly framed. It was like, <laughs> Uh, like Terminator 2 is a better movie but Clerks is utterly watchable I remember being framed around uh, Terminator 2 and just like how long it must have taken to make Terminator 2 and how I got just as much enjoyment out of Clerks by the way it was just do you know know who we're podcasting at 6 tonight I know you're Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick, I gotta, I gotta, bringing it back around to T two, right to T two. Uh, but that's that's a good point because like I saw Clerks and like it got me thinking yeah. in that like the way Kevin Samba. It's like almost like you know like you know punk, where it's just like you know, all these guys that started punk bands in like the late seventies, early eighties. They were like mm-hmm. they're like, oh wait, that's attainable. I can I can figure it's like, that it's, out. Yeah, it's almost like it's like a, it's, you're you like know, four chords count. Yeah, yeah, I, I can, can do fucking that. do even, four chords. It's just all yeah. of a sudden like if if you you know like all of a sudden uh, all the barriers lift off the crown jewels and you're like I could just grab that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even, like, even like the like uh, the Minutemen when they talk about when they when they started writing songs, they were saying like, oh, you like no one's saying you have to do this with music. You could go from this to this, and the, a song could be you know forty five seconds. It could be eighteen minutes. You know, like it's like no one's telling you what to do. You fuck with choose. structure, man. I mean, that's yeah. what art is. The more you fuck with structure, the more people enjoy it and stuff. Wreck some shop, man. Like that's what they want to see. Everyone's so fucking tired of the sameness and normalcy and not just normalcy like go make a walrus movie but just do something different like don't worry about what they're doing everyone's always just like what do they want fuck what they want what do you want because i guarantee you a bunch of people want that as well and that's that's why it's a great time to be doing shit like in the beginning i loved one of the byproducts of clerks that i never expected but utterly loved was aside from it made me fucking rich was the fact that like it it a bunch of people it launched a bunch of ships or a bunch of cats that were like if this fucking counts i want to make a movie and shit and that's like I, the only reason I felt bad about that is because film's expensive. Not everyone's ever going to fucking have the success of Clerks. But years later with Tusk, man, like aside from the movie being born from a podcast and being about a podcaster and stuff like that, just having and having Johnny Depp say the word podcaster, which really legitimizes our medium in some <laughs> weird way, like just throwing that movie out there and through all the press that it's getting and shit like that. I know for a fact some motherfuckers out there who are. Don't even know the word. And they're going to be like, what's a podcaster? And then they're going to go listen. Not even to mine, but whatever the fuck. But then they're going to go like, oh my God, a podcast is literally just sitting around talking with your fucking friends. Like, there's no fucking rules. That's allowed. Yeah, that's and boom, what, they yeah. jump in the that, pool. That's why I yeah. started, when I started this one, I had been putting it off for like a couple years. Yes. Because I had worked in radio. And so I was like, oh, but it's got to have segments. And I was thinking radio. And then, you know, and I had that epiphany one day where I was like, why can't they just talk to people like the way that comics talk backstage at shows? Like, why right. can't we just talk? Yeah. And if no one likes it, then it doesn't matter as long as we're having fun. Then that's, you know, then at least it's our thing and no one can fuck with it. Right, right. And it's, it was that exact same. It was that exact same moment. And those are usually, you know, uh, when you when you have those ideas where it feels like everything in your head is aligning and and has that clicking moment where everything locks into place. Those are usually good things to do, but don't wait too long to do them because yeah. 
Sometimes, Somebody is having a brilliant idea at the same fucking moment. Or, you are. or, or it was, you know, yes. it needed to happen at that moment. Or you might change if you wait too long, or the world might change, and then it's not, it's not appropriate anymore. But dude, I went for from in six months. We went from that conversation on the podcast to being on a set. The next movie we did, Yoga Hosers. The first draft of the script was four twenty, appropriately enough. So April twentieth. We were shooting that movie by August 19th. Oh, and wow. so that's, that's less than four months. That's the fastest turnaround I've had. And that's the only way I'm going to work now. Now, there are a bunch of grouses out there who'll be like, that's not responsible art. Bullshit. As long as I keep my fucking budget low, yeah. <laughs> that's responsible. The most responsible thing I could do as an artist is never fucking wait. Because there are a lot of good ideas that I've had over time where I'm like, I'll get around to it. And I never did. And somebody did something equally as cool, if not fucking cool. Right. So from now on, if I like it enough where I'm like, I'm ready to commit and I'm baked all the time and shit. So as long as I'm constantly stoned and I'm never like, wait, what am I? Walrus movie, you know, coming out of consciousness or something. What? The producer is like shoving weed in your mouth. <laughs> Who thought this was a good idea? Get a stone. Get a stone together. Yeah, like, We're in the middle I'm, of production. I'm, oh, 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 oh. Whimsy, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like Mr. Burns in the X-Files episode. <laughs> <laughs> As they told us in Dune, dude, fear is the mind killer. And, and the longer you wait, fear will creep in and be like, don't do that. Don't but, do that. Somebody's but, probably yeah. already done that. By the way, that. if you are the type of person that goes, fuck, I had that idea. Fuck, I had that idea too. Like, that's a sign. Yeah, oh my yeah. God. Like, you're, you're about to break. You so the next time you have it. an idea, yeah, like, just make it. it for yeah. real. Make it, make it. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Just make it for real. I thought you leaned into the mic. I thought you were going to join me for I a second. I was going to. It was a real Mosier moment. I was no, like, he's going to sing. I get that joke. No, people. <laughs> that was a real inside joke. And I'm very people. excited that you watch Scott Mosier podcast. Yeah, I'm not going to say that. Not even for the people that listen to the podcast. <laughs> an audience of two. And you start whittling down all of those. <laughs> the best jokes, man. A whole comedy club is silent, but Matt's like. <laughs> <laughs> and you're doing at midnight tonight as well. I am. I'm co- what am I? But I'm not like competing. Like yeah, I was. Am you I? are. You are. Somebody you're told on. me I was walking on. No, you're walking yeah. on and you're being walking on the contestant and being on. Yeah. 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 All right. Because that's why I was like, oh, I'm not competing. You and so Justin, Justin, Justin Kirkman. That's. What, that's I will that's be. What I I'll be. I'll be in the room with you. We'll right get, on. We'll I, look, I'm, I wanted to compete. I was happy to. You are. I thought for a minute that was just going to be like waving. No, 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 no. I'm ready to fucking give answers because I take this shit seriously. I got an edge. I need to win. Competitive at edge. midnight. <laughs> do you feel like uh, do do you feel like that uh, the weed kind of like takes yes. some of the that off a oh, little bit? I thought I could pre-answer the question. <laughs> uh, no, what the weed does is the weed. Uh, I've you know because I've been thinking about it for years, and it doesn't make you any more creative. It doesn't make you any better. What it does is just removes the fear. You just sit there. Normally, you're like, oh, I want to try this, but what if it doesn't work? What if they say shit? And then you're just like. <sighs> Who gives a fuck? I'm going to die. <laughs> Let's give it a shot because you don't want to be there like, you know, like Yoga Hosers, which is a movie spun out of Tusk, is a movie that uh, has my 15-year-old kid in it. And the thing that was my mind killer on that was like, you know the guy that you sit next to every week on Hollywood Babylon, Ralph Garman, like shreds any fucking person in the business who brings their kid. It, yes. Though Linklater's kid was one of the, like, uh, in uh, Boyhood. I think Linklater's daughter was great in that. She was great. Nepotism yeah. is what they go after you for. And that's, yeah. I literally sat there going, like, first I was like, oh my God, I could build a whole movie. Girls are in Tusk for, like, one fucking scene. And they crushed it. And they'd never acted before. And I loved, I loved the scene when I was done shooting. I, I cut it together and I kept watching it over and over again. I kept showing my wife. I was like, 
I thought, what do you, why do you think I like it so much? They're like wearing the red smocks. Like, why do I, I'm so drawn to this. Is it because it's our daughter or what? And she's like, Kevin, you're a fucking idiot. It's two people standing behind a counter at a convenience store. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, you're right. That's why I love it so much. So I sat there going, I could build a whole performance, a whole movie around their performance level. They play two anti-American girls who like barely ever look up from their phones, like a true 15-year-old girls. So I was like, if I just took that performance and surrounded it with a bunch of really fucking funny, talented people, I can make a whole fucking movie with my kid. Like, this would crack me up because it's a weird spinoff of Tusk where it's not a sequel, but it's what happens in Winnipeg a year after the events it's of It's like Tusk. the Cornetto trilogy in the sense where it's like they're all... No, it's more no, like it's the even more, trilogy. It's, yeah, yeah, it's more like the Universe. It goes back yeah, universe, to the yeah. Universe. Yeah. Like, I, I sat there looking at Marvel going like... Oh, they have an interconnected series of movies. I remember how fun that was. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to go back and do it with this and stuff. So they, so I, I sat there for the, I was like, I'm going to do it. I talked to my wife. I talked to Lily Rose's mom, Vanessa. I was like, would you mind for a whole movie for the girls? She goes, you would not do that. I said, I do a lot of things. I'm stoned. So I wrote it. And, and then for a moment, I was like, you know what? Don't do it. Because every motherfucker who hates your guts on the internet is just going to use it as a fucking target. But who gives a like, shit? That's what I said to myself. I said, oh, my God, I don't want to be on my deathbed and be like, I should have made yoga hosers uh, and die. Like, I want to be like, I did make yoga hosers. Because uh, an angry guy uh, that I don't know in Nebraska told me I shouldn't have employed my daughter because it's dumb. Because it's dumb. And, yeah. I, and, and honestly, if I had listened to that inner voice, which when I was younger, I probably, that inner voice, the outer voice of somebody else that infects your inner voice. I probably might have let it fucking second guess me out of the whole thing you know years ago, but now weed, I'm like, it's, fuck you, I'm going to die, and no. I want to make a movie with my kid, you know it's about it Canadian teenage girls. It, and then I sat there making the movie, and I'm like, this is everything, this is the movie that I wanted to see when I was a 15-year-old girl. Like, this is perfect, man. <laughs> and it's, it's born in a blaze, and there's no fear. Like, there's no sort of like... Fuck, they'll go after me first. I know someone's gonna go after. Someone will always shit in my. That's mouth old this. nerdy kid baggage, though. When you grew up, when it's you true, grew up yeah. being kind of socially ostracized, and you're like, they're not gonna think I'm cool. And then at a certain point, you go, wait, well, who is that guy who's shitting on me? Is yeah. he? Does he? Is he the arbiter of what's okay and what's not? Or I don't maybe even you fucking know move that guy. The line of what cool is. Like when we were kids, cool was not what we fucking do now. Cool was like athletes and sports and shit and like that. And wearing a leather jacket and going into a diner with a bunch of underage kids and banging on a jukebox and it turns on. Don't and then forget being in a really garage, good at pinball. He was really good at pinball too. <laughs> and made uh, business transactions in a toilet. That's yeah, right. he spent a lot of time in a glory hole room. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And it was the age of TV where you couldn't show any toe tapping because people would know what that meant. So I'm gonna, just going to assume that. Did, we, did I talk about this in the podcast? On the before? down low. I'm sure we all did. Uh, if we've done so many podcasts, sooner or later, I'm sure somewhere over the course of well, this, that's, we've been I, like, I have totally the catalog gay. of our 600 episodes. Wait, I have the. Because I, I do have the Fonzie is gay theory. Which is, you know, leather. Quick, throw it out there. Fuck it, leather. Always like, especially. And at what that do you period say time, when you get fucked in the mouth? Hey! Hey! No, but but but. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can add that one. Uh, but uh, but the idea that he was so overtly like, look at all these girls, and they related to him so well. It's very true. He understood how to talk but to them. He was tight with the boys. Yeah, like he always had time for Richie, who was a certified fucking nerd, along with Potsy and Ralph, and he tolerated them because he was just like the sweet taste of Potsy in yeah. my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the one dream day, in the internal monologue of Arthur Fonzarelli. Yeah, I think I, th I think Fonzarelli, <laughs> which I think I want them to sit on it. 
And, and <laughs> they won't. <laughs> He's got two thumbs for two other Perfectly guys. manicured. That's why he tried to fucking kill himself, jumping, jumping over the chicken stand, because he's like, I can't be me. Yeah, at that time, perfectly <laughs> manicured. Tried to kill years later yeah. with a shark as yep. well. Yep. He, Although in California, it was after the California trip that he started to be more him, and the show went down the hill. <laughs> yeah. No, that's when they brought on Ted McGinley. That's, and the kid. Um, Remember he had the poltergeist kid as a kid, and it wasn't his kid, but his girlfriend's yeah, kid and shit. They always introduce a kid. But, I, but, I, but, but that theory to me makes Fonzie like a million times cooler. Mm. That there's this, like, this other side yeah. of him. That in the 21st century, absolutely. He's, that's always his wink, he's always winking to the camera in a way like, they don't know. And you know who knows? <laughs> you know who knows? Fucking Mrs. C. She's the only person who knows... And that's why they're like they're so like bonded together because yeah. she knows Arthur, and, and that's Arthur. why Mister Cunningham lets it ride because he's like he's never gonna fuck her, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not unless she grows a dick. No, I don't think Mister C knows. You think he's he's still like Fonzie gets? I all think the he'd girls. be like what? Like I don't think he. I don't you think, think he'd throw him out. You see the dark side of Mister C where he's like I don't want any of your homosexual antics. <laughs> the Bible says. I mean, he's still <laughs> on a very I mean, special you know, happy day. He's still a, <laughs> he's still in early sixties. <laughs> like that's when Mister. You know why I sell hardware? Because nails went into the hands of my savior, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and if I could just, if I could have just had the perfect hammer to pull the nails yeah. out, he was a carpenter. He would have used my help. Get your dick sucking mouth out of my garage. I sent my only son, my first son, Chuck, to war. <laughs> To defend the right. for your right to what? Suck a dick over my car? It's like, no. Marion, get him out! You take that gay shit out of my house, Marion! They scramble the through the, the front door onto the front lawn, fucking throwing fisticuffs. Richie's like, no, Dad! Uh, I don't need no homophobia. And then he just drives off. <laughs> <laughs> no, as he goes off, he goes, gay. Gay. <laughs> I've done a lot of things, but this was the biggest shark I ever jumped. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so I think we solved happy days. Oh, there you shit. go. Those were the happiest days we of all. Right what, what, what's a synonym for happy? Yay. Gay days. Yeah. <laughs> At Disneyland. <laughs> Yep. Here at Disney. Well, we solved that. And uh, <laughs> when does Tusk come out? I know the premieres today. Tusk comes out uh, on Friday, on uh, what, what, uh, September nineteenth. So September nineteenth. This podcast will go up tomorrow. All right. So yeah, Friday, it'll be advance. out, man. They could see it. it's playing six hundred screens across the country, which is one of the like I thought it was a pretty healthy number for a fucking movie about a guy. That is a good out, number to a walrus. Yeah, I expected like New York, L.A., and that was it. You but know what's good about twenty four? They were like six hundred. Six hundred screens. screens is good because it's a lot. But it's not two thousand, so yes. people don't have the like the, mag- no the magnifying glass. Like, there was yeah. one theater where nobody went. Like yeah. if you've got six hundred theaters, chances are like it's it only improves your per screen average. That's but right. if we didn't get a good per screen average this weekend, imagine how much worse it would have been on a thousand screens. Yeah. Also, so I'm cool with six hundred. I imagine it's a movie that you want to see with a bunch of people too. It feels like that. I, I mean, it, yeah. it, it, at the Toronto, we went at Toronto and we played it at the midnight screening, and it. Like it was religious. Like it, it was probably the best screening of a movie I've made that I've ever intended in my life. So it, yeah, it plays with that kind of. Yeah, thing. yeah. Like um, uh, I was talking to Pat Healy for, when he was. He, I was gonna. I was like, oh, I'm gonna watch uh, Cheap Thrills tonight. And he's he's like, just like invite people over or go to a screening. Mm. Like it's better with the crowd. Mm. And it's, uh, yeah, definitely. Like it's, yeah. So and like Jonas said, take all your friends. Don't go alone. Only losers go alone to the movies. Uh, Take all your friends and walrus people to see (laughs) us. Just say walrus, yes. Uh, Um, It'll be. It's honestly, it's it's kind of exciting. It's neat, man. And I feel like. 
you know, fucking, I love this medium. I love podcasting. And the fact that it's just like the first movie based on a podcast is one of those dopey things that I'm like, I got that. As I lay dying, I'll be like, that's what I did. <laughs> I made it never happen. Made an, I never got an Oscar, but I had the first podcast. I was able to <laughs> belt a movie out of the podcast room. <laughs> TV show, movie. I don't know what's next, man. A musical, writing a play based hey, on we gotta the we got to catch podcast. up. We need to do it. We have a TV show, but now we got to do a movie. So we got to do a movie. Yeah, yeah, Chris needs to catch up. <laughs> Chris needs another job. I need to really. <laughs> I know you know the last. The last I take a great sense of pride every time I see you do another yet another fucking TV show or conquering some other aspect of the medium. I always fucking think about you. Wrote a very nice blog piece about like I went to Smodcastle and I was like that's what I want. And yeah, fucking that's where nerdist industry that's where nerd started. Mel, that's where nerd came out. from. Was 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 going? I mean, it, that was the moment where I was like. Oh, you, you can, can do this. You could yeah. just do this. Yes. Why couldn't you do this? Yeah. It was. It was yeah. your you could do this moment. Yeah, it was very. It was. I tried to convince him to go to the Lovett's podcast theater, but he was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it, all, it all just it all just fell into place. So so thank you for that. And no, I'm awesome. so glad. I, and that was not me tooting my own horn. But I no, always, no, but that, it that always every time moment. I fucking see you do something, I'm like that fucking he got it. Like that dude sat in a room and was just like. Oh fucking! You can do this, but it took years and years and years of failing and getting knocked down and being rejected before I was like, "Oh, I I think if I'm going to want to do anything, I guess I just have to fucking do it." And but look at look what happened. You did that. You did the thing you wanted. And it's so to much do. more rewarding than if someone else had hired me for their thing. Exactly. So thank you, thank you, Kevin, for being. Uh, you see how I did that? I guess it was nice. Yeah. Though. I didn't mean to do it. Like no, I but, feel shitty. I feel dirty. No, you shouldn't feel dirty. I do. You I, should. I should. Right. Sorry. No. But I do. I honestly, I feel sensitive, and I don't want that to sound just condescending. But like. Right on, man. Fucking like he, he was in the trenches with me and shit like that. That was cool. Well, and that's and wh- everything that you and I did, anyone listening could go could do, do if you know, like that's it. Stop listening to us, please don't, because we need to listen. Listen and then we go need the earbuds, but then do your own thing. Yeah, exactly. And subscribe always. <laughs> 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 subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Uh, Audible podcast uh, forward slash feeb. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy a burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.